Sunday. Uh, but let's get into the meat of why you're here. Open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 13. 13 is where we're going to be today. And as I get there with my Bible, I want to encourage you also at our church too, man. We know that you can pull the scripture up on your phone, uh, but you can also pull up a hundred other things on your phone. So we, we like to encourage, uh, not mandate, but encourage you to bring your, your Bible when you come to church. Uh, because it's just good, good to keep us focused and uh, show the value in it too. But as we're getting there, um, let me tell you a little about history. Uh, we've been talking a lot about history lately, but on June the 6th of 1944, uh, a very, very important day in human history, but also in church history, this day is called D-Day or Decision Day. And on this day, there was a decision made by the Allied forces uh, to charge the beach at Normandy, which were declaring uh, war against the Nazis that would eventually right, crush the figurative head of, of Hitler and his regime, his godless, wicked regime. Uh, but that was D-Day. That was an instrumental day that happened. However, V-Day or Victory Day did not actually occur till 366 days later. Although the Nazis and Hitler knew that they were defeated, uh, Hitler continued to try to burn the house down and inflict as much pain and suffering uh, for another 366 days because that's what he did, right? Christian, you and I, we live between D-Day and V-Day. D-Day was the day that Christ, his, his death and his resurrection a decisive victory over Satan, right? Conquer, seal the victory. However, however, we are not yet in the V-Day or the victory day. Think of it in light of Satan, who um, is like Hitler. He is this decapitated snake. Head's been cut off. He's just flopping around. He's trying to inflict and bite and, and put pain on anybody he can find. Specifically, what we're learning is he's trying to inflict pain upon the church. And where we are, that's where we live today. If you want to know where you fit into human history, is you are in the intermediate state or the church age or the last days between D-Day and Victory Day. That's where we are, that's where we are in the book, and that's where we are in the history of the world. Last week in chapter 12, we ended who this dragon, who is Satan, he's very frustrated because he just can't kill the church. He can't destroy the church, he tries to torment the church, but he can't destroy Christ, and he really can't destroy Christ's people, so he's very frustrated. And we have this scene of this dragon who's standing on the shore, the sea, what you see, that's the, that's the picture. Uh, but let's read this today because what we're not gonna see here is he's standing on the shore. We aren't seeing Snoop Dogg with a corona. Uh, that's not what's happening. He's not chilling. He's getting ready to unleash the beast. All right, so let's look at this together in verse one of chapter 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads and Ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. 
And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive... To captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is the call for endurance, faith of the saints. Now, if you are new to church, been away from church, if you don't really know your Bible that kind of well, we see this language, we see dragons and beasts and bears and lions and horns and all these these sci-fi images here. Uh, We do not believe that the end of the world will be like Narnia and Harry Potter, all right? Not, not Wizard of Oz kind of things here. We don't believe these things because we're reading this book and we see that the book of Revelation is primarily a apocalyptic literature, which means symbolic. You see all the words of like in here. It's like a bear's uh, mouth and a le- like a leopard and all these things, it's like, like, like. These are not literal translations. Now, let me say this. Are there literal aspects to the book of Revelation? Yes, there is. When we get there, we'll talk about them. But primarily, this book is to be read with symbolic goggles on. So that's what we're going to do. And what we see here is this beast rising out of the sea. In the Old Testament, the sea was often depicted as a place of chaos and rebellion. And now we see this beast Fittingly coming out of the sea. Who is the beast? That's what you want to know. Who is this beast? Uh, Let's look because chapter 13 talks a lot about the beast. 13 times, as a matter of fact, in chapter 13, we see the word beast. So who is the beast? The beast is the antichrist. All right. Now, as we use that language, now we know the word antichrist is not in the text. But this is the Antichrist, and Antichrist is anyone who is anti-Christ. Anyone who opposes or against Jesus is an anti-Christ. All right, so we're going to get this biography of who this beast is, and let's look at four. I've got three things that are going to give us this biography of the beast. Here we go. First one is this. The Antichrist is personal but also corporate. It's personal, but he's also corporate, all right? Now, what we see here, when most people, uh, or most futurists, I'll say, who look at the book of Revelation, these are all future end times things, and they, they take it more literally. They believe that the end of the world, the very, very, very end of the world, that there's going to be a man, evil personified, who is going to return and be dubbed as the Antichrist, all right? Now, I am, 
I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that statement. I think that could be a literal thing that actually does happen. However, according to 1 John chapter 2, John said that there have been many antichrists who have come and there will be many other antichrists who will follow. Many lowercase antichrists uh, throughout human history. All right, through the scriptures, we're full of all of these evil rulers we see. Old Testament, we've got Nebuchadnezzar. New Testament, we see uh, Caesar. We have all of these history. Uh, Hitler, Stalin, all right, uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, Osama bin Laden, uh, Stalin. I, I think I maybe mentioned that. All of these people are manifestations. They are Satan personified. They are humans who rule that are anti Christ. You understand? They, they're not for Christ. All those people I listed, they don't rule for Christ. They don't follow Christ. They don't worship Christ. Therefore, they are little anti-Christ. But what we see here in this text is not only is the antichrist personal, he's also corporate. So it's not just a person, it's also Corporate. Now, here's how we get there, just so you know I'm not throwing an opinion in there. This description of the Antichrist with these horns and uh, on his head and crowns and diadem, this is a reference back to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel is an Old Testament prophetic book. I know we don't read it often, but uh, we've said that there's nothing in Revelation that has not already been said in Scripture. So we go back to try to help us to see what's going on back in Daniel 2. Daniel had a dream, and what he saw in his dream was four beasts. And these four beasts that Daniel saw represented uh, four godless governments, rule, and regime. First one was, um, was Babylon, right? Babylon led by Nebuchadnezzar, Antichrist. That was the first beast. The second beast was Persia. The third beast was uh, the Greek Hellenists, right, who were led by Alexander the Great. They were a godless nation, also beast. But beast four, Daniel saw, represented Rome, the most fierce beast of them all. And to the writer, or I'm sorry, to the reader of this first century letter, remember the first century church was in the mouth of Rome. They were in the mouth of the beast who is Rome. So that's what they would have said, beast Rome, right? So what we're seeing here, as I said, this is not only a personified Satan, this is an Satan institutionalized as well. Any form of organized government, ideology that it projects on the nation is a form of the beast. Antichrist, right? And when we think about godless governments who don't rule according to God, I think our mind begins to go where? Across the pond. North Korea, Iraq, Somalia, godless nations, right? Let me tell you what, you better start looking at our country. You better start looking right here because if you have eyes to see, and ears to hear, you know, you know that this government that we are under is not for Christ. It's against Christ. And although 
Blake Shelton gets up and sings that this is God's country. And it is God's country. He's right. Blake got that right. But here's the other part. This is God's country, but this country does not honor its God. Your president, my president, any president is sworn in with their hand on the Bible, but that Bible has no sway whatsoever on their rule and reign in the office. The application for you and me is clear here. When we look at government as the source of all hope and comfort and change that the world needs, when we look at the state and all of our affinities and our passions, we turn into political idolaters. When we say, oh, we need to fix the country, make America great again, we raise our flag for America in a very unhealthy patriotic way. We are worshiping the beast. Is there a way to have healthy patriotism? Yes, there is. Romans 13, Paul says that we are to honor our governments, right? We are to submit to them unless the submission causes it to go in contradiction to the scriptures, of course. So there's a balance in there. But what this is telling us is the beast is really, really good at taking the church and their eyes off of Christ and putting it on the state. You've even seen pulpits in 2020 and 2021 that were meant to point people to Christ being used to point people to the state. Pastors and churches more committed to making America great again than saving lost people, to going to their neighbors. And listen, church, you, you, we might have, let's just call it what it is. There's probably some people in here with some very unhealthy patriotism. Unhealthy. I want you to be careful and I want you to understand that when you take your eyes, if you're a follower of Jesus and you put it on the state and your passion is to make the country great again, even under the, under the lordship of God, you have got to be careful because this government will never, ever, ever be able to bring this country back to God. The only one who can do that is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that will make his kingdom come. The government will not. It has impotent resources to do it. Do not be deceived by the beast. Keep your eyes on Christ and not on the state. That is the hope that we would see. That's the application here. But let me, let, me, let me say something here at the end because I think when we start talking about the beast, everybody wants to know, who's the beast? When's the beast coming? Then our mind immediately go there. I, wanna, I would contend that you and I don't need to know who the beast is. I would contend that you don't even need to know when the beast is coming. What you and I need to know is there is a real beast, a real enemy who hates the people of God. He hates the church. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. And if we could just wake up and see that there's a real enemy, I think then we can begin to see 
why many of our lives here today are filled with so much hardship, heartache, pain, suffering, sorrow. I think if we could acknowledge that there's a real enemy and he is bloodthirsty after the church, I think we could begin to see while our life is often full of pain and sorrow and begin to fight the real enemy that we face, right? So you don't need to know the beast. You don't need to know when the beast is coming. You need to know what the beast looks like so you can spot him, right? Because the second point we're gonna look at is this. The Antichrist is the devil, but he tries to imitate Christ. What you see in chapter 13 is an imposter. What you're gonna see in chapter 13 is actually, it is a, um, it's a, it's a fake trinity, right? We believe in the trinity, right? We're Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Well, what we see here is a counterfeit trinity with Satan, the dragon being the father, beast number one being the son, dragon in the flesh. And we're going to see next week, beast number two is the spirit. This is a counterfeit Christ, a copycat Christ. And he wants to deceive us to look like Jesus, but he's not Jesus. Let me show you a couple of things here where we get this. We see that in Revelation 19, we know Christ wears many crowns, right? Jewels and crowns. The beast has many, many diadems, right? We know that Christ has this name above all names. He has a name on his thigh, tattooed, king of kings, lord of lords. He has a lot of names. Well, we see here this beast also has names. It has blasphemous names. We also see in verse 3, a counterfeit resurrection. Christ, crucified, raised to new life on the third day, fully alive. Well, what we see here with this copycat Christ, who is the beast, there is a fake resurrection. He seems, he gets a mortal wound, it says, and it appears that it's mortal, but then he has this some semblance of life after that. What, what's that about? Well, I believe this is a reference to, once again, the resurrection of Christ. When, when Christ was uh, crucified and resurrected, that was a death blow to Satan, right? But now he's, once again, he's fighting. He's flailing around on the ground, still trying to inflict pain. It looks like he still has life, a fake resurrection, but it's all fake because he's going to die. He's not alive in that sense. So you have a fake resurrection here. Here's another one. We know that Christ has has people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every people. That's, that's the great commission, right? He's got power and authority all of us. Well, now we see here, beast also has some power over every tribe, every nation, every language, and every people. And as he has this fake resurrection, people marvel at this Christ. They worship the beast and they follow the beast. That's just like Christ, right? After Christ's resurrection, he has worshipers. They're marveling. And then they follow. Satan has the same thing. People are marveling at him. They are worshiping him. And they are following him. Now, there's another depiction we see here. Notice that this beast 
doesn't have horns or a pitchfork and a cape and a dragon tail. That's the, that's the fake picture we see. Of, he didn't have those. That's not what this beast looks like. What this beast does have is a mouth. And out of his mouth, he utters blasphemies against God and spews lies to God's people. As Christ had his gospel, this copycat Christ has his own message to evangelize to the world, and it is the gospel according to Satan. You hear it. I hear it all the time. You can be like God. He's trying to take things from you. That's what he told Adam and Eve in the garden, right? God just wants you to be happy. God is all love. God is all grace. God is all tolerant of all behaviors. Everybody's going to heaven. He never will punish sin. He's not a judging God. Nobody's perfect. Gospel according to Satan. I mean, there's some more. You know where else you can hear the gospel according to Satan? Graduation speeches. I love graduations. I go to them. I, I, I love, it's a great emotional thing for our children. I love going there. Please hear me that. But man, if you have ears to hear and you're really listening and not just caught up in the emotion of the moment, you will hear the gospel according to Satan very, very clearly. You can do anything you want to do. You can be anything that you want to be. If you just work hard, you can accomplish and you can get anything that you want. You protect yourself, look out for yourself, YOLO, live life love in this world. You get yours. Be you, do you. Gospel courting Satan. And he is so good at it. You see, he, he, his message is not, I'm an atheist, hate God, everybody. That's not how he comes at us. He comes at us disguised as an angel of light. He's craftier than that, right? You, you can't see him coming like that. And it sounds good to the ears. It even tickles the ears, right? Oh, that sounds really good. And even we know that the gospel according to Satan is, is pronounced in churches across the world. You, 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 you. That is what the beast does. He wants you to put your eyes on you and not on Christ. He's crafty, he's cunning, and he wants to destroy the church. Let me tell you what else he does here. He acts like a conqueror but he's really been conquered. Like he's given this authority. We see here he's given authority to cause destruction for 42 months. He's given power and authority over tribe, nation, people, language. He's given the uh, ability to speak horrible, haughty things against the people of God. This is a borrowed power that he has. He looks like he's conquering, but he's actually not conquering at all because all of the power and authority that he's operating on although it looks like it's coming from the dragon that dragon who is satan is on god's 
leash. This beast is God's beast. Make no mistake about it. This beast can do nothing that God doesn't want him to do. For whatever reason, God is choosing to allow the beast to roam, perhaps to bring judgment against wicked people who have rejected Christ. But he will not do anything apart from the sovereign leash that God has him on. This is God's beast. No wonder the world is so deceived by Satan. It just looks so good, so crafty. He's great at what he does. So how do you and I, how do we spot the fake? That's the question. That's the application here. If he's fake, how do we spot the fake? Do you know how the U.S. Department of Treasury spots fake money? They study real money. They don't study fake money. They study real money. They spend their days looking at real money intently with detailed focus so that when they see fake money, they say, fake, imposter, counterfeit. Study real money. You know the bank teller who gets your $100 bill at the bank? You know what she does? Holds it up to what? The light. She compares it to the light so they can spot the fake. That's what we do, church. You want to spot fake, counterfeit Christ? You study the real Christ. You put it up against the light and see if it measures up or not. You have to study your Bible to spot the fake. And that's, once again, why I keep telling you each week that I am so excited about what we're going to do at LifePoint Church with the discipleship initiative that we're going to be launching. I'll tell you in a few weeks about what that is. We're going to teach people how to read their Bibles so they can study the real Jesus, so they can spot the fake. More to come on that. Let me go to the last point here. Your life might be taken, but your salvation can't be touched. Your physical life following Christ might be taken, but your salvation cannot be touched. I, I, I don't know if that's a comfort to you or not right now. You might be saying, oh, following Jesus, die? You need, you're not seeing Jesus right. So I'm gonna try to help you here, just a moment. Let me show you why there's such an, a security. This is the piece where we're going to, or I'm going to show you in verse eight, why you can have endurance and hope and comfort and whatever you're walking through in your life right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to see two life-changing realities in verse eight that you can take anything in your life you're going through right now, suffering, heartache, rebellion of kids, marriage on the rocks, career falling down, whatever it is, you could take those things and you take them to these two things in verse eight and they will be a security blanket for your soul. Now let me show you what I mean here, two things. Because in this text, we see that all who live on earth whose names have not been written before the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life they will worship the beast. Church, listen for just a minute. I'm right here. Listen, you have to know what this book is. 
you cannot blow past this book because in this book is one of the, the gems that we're getting ready to study. You have to know what the Lamb's book of life is. And let's, let me show you two things. There was a book, because here's where I'm going to take you for just a moment. Use your sanctified imaginations. I'm going to take you back to eternity past here for just a moment. We are in eternity past before the foundation of the world, before God has created the earth, the heavens, anything. There's nothing, not a, not a man, not a woman, no creation, no nothing. In eternity past, God, the author of this book, wrote another book. And this book was called the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Now, if you're tracking with me, you've got to see something here. The lamb, the slain lamb was the plan. Before the foundation of the world, he already wrote a book. And it was the lamb who was slain. Before there was a man, before there was a sinner to be saved, he already wrote the book of the slain lamb. Before Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the garden, and he thought that he had, man, he thought he just busted up God's plan completely, right? Oh, I've messed it all up. He's a fool. Because God wrote a book before the foundation of the world. It was always going to be the slain lamb that Jesus had accomplished. God used Satan to accomplish him. This has got to give you some comfort in knowing that there's a plan. All of history is unfolding perfectly according to the plan of God. It always has and it always will, culminating on the return of Jesus Christ, Revelation 17, 19, when he comes on a white horse in the cloud to set up the new heavens and the new earth and gather up all his people. That's the way it's going to end. There's a plan. Don't look at the world for a plan. There is no plan. Watch the news tonight. There's no plan. It's live, try to survive, suck out as much happiness in your life, and then you die. That's the plan. If you're in Christ Jesus, there's a plan. And you can trust the sovereign God of the universe that has written the plan already. Take Comfort in that, knowing that no, no matter what you do, no matter what happens in your life, nothing can thwart the plan of God. This will be accomplished, right? So there is one huge treasure, one gem we see by this book. Now, here's the second one. This book that he wrote before the foundation of the world contained names in it. Names. Before creation and by God's grace alone, God chose certain individuals that would be redeemed by the blood of the slain lamb. Scripture calls those people the elect. And I want to show you a couple of passages here about this because God's registry of life appears all throughout the scripture. I don't have time to unpack all of them. Let me show you one in the Old Testament really quickly. Exodus 32, 32, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, 
Please blot me out of your book that you have written. Not that you are writing. It's already written. Remember, eternity past. Now, sometimes when you present this book of life and God sovereignly choosing before the foundation world, some people say, hey, you know what? Here's what God did. He, before the foundation of the world, yes, I'm tracking with you, but here's what he did. He jumped in a DeLorean, fast forward to the future, saw that you would choose him, ran back to eternity past, wrote your name in. That's what people say. Let me let Paul address that situation. Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. You just have to take it to the text. (laughs) You just have to. I I don't fully grab and grasp all of it. I don't. But I know there's a book. And I know he wrote it. And it's called the book of life of the lamb who was slain. And I know because he wrote my name in eternity past. Not on what I did but because of what he did. That's why it's secure forever. That's why I can take a sword. That's why I can take captivity because nothing can take away my name from the Lamb's book of life. Nothing. When he wrote my name and your name in the book, he didn't do it with a pencil and eraser handy. He wrote it in permanent Lamb's blood. And that is where you and I get this security. Now, some of you might be saying, well, uh, I mean, that, what about my friend? What about my daughter? What about my mom, my dad, my family? What about them? Are they in the names of the book of life, the Lamb was slain? Listen, I don't know. Only God knows that. So how do we know? What do we do with that? If he's already written the book, What do I do? Do I just sit around and be glad that my name's in the book? No, we live sent because there are people whose names are written in the book that have not yet been called. How are they called? When you and I share the gospel with them, that's how God calls them. So you keep sharing that gospel with all of your loved ones that you're worried about or concerned. Are they in the book of life or not? I don't know. Share the gospel, pray to God. God, put them in the book. I hope they're in the book, right? It's ultimately up to you, God. And that's what we do. We go and we live sin. Some of you here today, your names might be in the book of life. Is he calling your name today? You've heard some things. I've been walking through some things and you don't know. And maybe, maybe you get uncomfortable when we start talking about these things. Maybe you just wanna go eat lunch and go back to work tomorrow. But maybe there's something inside of you that says, I I feel something, is that, God, is that you? Are you tugging at me? I'm a little scared. I don't wanna give you everything. I like control of my life. But that, that could be God calling you because your name is in the book. Respond to the call of God. Respond. Come talk to us after church today. Come out the doors, talk to the right. Go talk to a family member that you're maybe sitting with. Check a box on the blue card. We'll talk through that with you. We want to explain that with you. There's no greater question 
that you could ask and none greater that we could answer for you. But this idea, as I said, of this security that he's given us, if we're following that, and we know that our names are in the book, can't be erased, we have eternal security, what do we do? Just coast on into eternity? Live your best life now. How about that one, right? It's just gonna be awesome. Coast on in, make sure you get there. Don't get involved with the world. Sin, ah, the world's got cooties. Don't go out there. Don't do anything. Just stay safe, play it safe and dismount into heaven one day and God will be impressed with you. No, it's not what we do. We are secured to endure. And he says, if it's called you into captivity for following Jesus, to captivity, you go. If it's to a sword slaying you, let sword slay you. The only way you invite that in, and I don't mean, I don't mean run and get arrested on purpose and, and take a sword and fall on your own sword. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about are you willing to follow Christ to do whatever it takes, even to captivity, even to death, even if you lose a job, a friend on Facebook, a career, a scholarship, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a dollar here and a dollar there, a trophy here or a trophy there. Are you willing to lose all of that for the sake of Christ? See, my hope is that you're seeing Jesus more precious than anything. And you could have, church, you can have everything in this world. I mean, you can have the American dream, the quan. You can have it all, house, vacation, dream home, fam. You can have everything that this world has to offer. But if you do not have Jesus, guess what? You don't have anything because you ain't taking none of it with you. But if you have Jesus, if you have the slain lamb, you have everything, everything. Do you have Christ? Now, we're getting ready to do um, communion here because that's what we do uh, to celebrate the lamb. But let me ask you a question just a moment. And this is something that I, I caught and I wrestled to even say this with you, to be honest with you. But what chapter 13 shows us, stay with me, is that there is no neutrality in this world. Chapter 13 shows us that all people on the earth are either following, worshiping, marveling at Jesus Christ or marveling, worshiping, and following the spirit of Satan. Now, I thought about that and I was like, Oh, well, man, that's not necessarily, you know, that doesn't feel good. How, how do you tell somebody that if they don't follow Jesus, they're automatically a worshiper of Satan? I wrestle with that. I'm just going to be honest with you. But then I just, I keep reading in the text and the scripture, all throughout the scripture, it only divides the world into two different people. Father God or Father of the devil. You're either following the beast or you're following Christ. You're either worshiping Christ or worshiping the beast. There's only the truth of scripture here. Who are you marveling? Who are you following? Who are you worshiping? There is no neutrality, church. And I care enough about you, your life, and protecting you from the enemy that I want you to know you need Christ. So I pray today that you would 
not just go home, get in the car, take off. You would know Christ crucified, his life and death and resurrection. Come talk to us, please, please, please. Let, let's, uh, let me set up communion, all right? So if you have these awesome cups. <laughs> Somebody, man, one time we had these out and they were like, man, these things taste horrible. I said, the cross was bitter too. So <laughs> a little Jesus juke there. Uh, go ahead and, man, tear that top thing off because we start taking it. Sometimes we, you know, it takes us a minute to get there. But listen, church, the, um, we've seen the book of life was the lamb who was slain. We are a church that talks about the lamb. We're going to sing bloody songs about the lamb. I'm going to preach bloody sermons about the lamb that was slain because it's all about the lamb. And the night before this lamb was slain, according to God's perfect plan, he sat down to have a meal with his followers, right? And uh, I'll set that up in just a moment. But before we do this meal, what we do as followers of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, come with me, eat this meal, take this appetizer. Appetizer. It's not the meal, the appetizer. One day we're going to get a feast. So um, if you're a follower of Christ, this is your time to, uh, man, get before the Lord, sit there, pause, reflect, confess any unconfessed sin to the Lord. He already knows you ask the Lord, you remember, you trust in the forgiveness of Christ that he's already given and sealed for you and you praise him for his forgiveness and what he did on the cross. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not sure if you are a follower of Jesus or not, withhold, withhold. Paul said that this is a, a family meal and you, you need to know if you're in or out before you take this. It's a very serious matter. So if that's you, you... You just come ask us questions when you get done today. We'll, we'll gladly walk through that with you. But church, let me give you a space to go ahead and, and do some reflecting and, and confessing here right now, and then I'll lead us through together. On the night before the lamb was slain, according to Mark chapter 14. And as they were eating, he took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. 
And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Church, because the lamb has been slain, because our book is in the, our name is in the book of life forever in permanent blood, we can say with confidence, we are going to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus Christ. All right, so let's stand, let's worship the slain lamb together. Love you guys.